Welcome to the Red Letter Disciple. It's been too long, but we're back. And when I say it's been too long, like we've only been away every week, a week, but that's just too long. We, we enjoy you, you enjoy us, I hope. Anyway, we're gonna have a great conversation. My name is Zach Zender, one of the hosts, and I'm gonna be joined by Chris Johnson, a co-host in just a couple minutes. And our desire is that this podcast would challenge and inspire you to be a greater disciple of Jesus, no matter what your everyday looks like. And if enough of us catch that, then I really believe we'll be a truer, greater, fuller expression of Jesus. And that's what the world needs for it to change. And so today we're going on a deep dive into God's word, the Bible. And who better to do it with than our guest, Jeff Cloa, who not only taught the Bible at a seminary for like almost a couple decades, but now finds himself as the chief curatorial officer at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. So we're going to talk to Jeff about the Bible and how amazing it is, and also what's the most misunderstood part of the Bible, and, and why does that make a difference that we understand it correctly? I think your, his answer is going, going to surprise you, and it's going to be amazing. So today's episode, it wouldn't be possible without our sponsor, and so I want to thank Kerry Newhoff and his team. Hey, I know we have a lot of authors or podcasters or bloggers or communicators or content creators out there. But do you ever feel like you put in like the same amount of effort as others, maybe even more, but you're not seeing the same results? I've been there and I understand that. Like, is there some secret that, that they have that you don't? There's so much advice you get on the internet and it become overwhelming and become confusing, trying to figure out like how to grow your platform. Not to mention like half of it doesn't even work. And a lot of us, like our platform, it's not about us and our name, it's about, no, we wanna get the name of God out there more. So how do we do that? What is, what do we do? Can, can we crack the code? What if, what if we could get a growth formula that works one without the hacks and gimmicks? Carrie Newhoff and the Art of Leadership Academy have a free mastermind that's going to help you amplify your reach and impact online by, by doing these things. Identifying your dream audience. So important. Learning how to get them to notice you and connect with you. And this is a big one, figuring out which platforms are worth your time and effort and like which ones aren't. So to register for this free mastermind, go to influencekickstarter.com. Building online influence, it doesn't have to be complicated or intimidating. It doesn't have to be gimmicky or ruin your integrity. You can do it and he's gonna help you. And I've, I've been through this and it was a game changer for me. So again, that's influencekickstarter.com. Register for free right there. Hey, I wanna thank all of you who are rating and reviewing the podcast and subscribing or following on your favorite platform. We are thrilled. I just saw the other day that we were like number 27 in the nation of Kenya in the Christianity space. And so Chuhambo, that means hello in Swahili to all the Kenyans out there. Maybe one day we'll take this thing on the road, but in all seriousness, thank you for doing that. If it means a lot to you, if this episode is helpful for you or for someone else, that five-star reviewer rating, those subscribing and following those downloads mean a lot to us. So without further ado, let's get into this with Jeff Cloa, episode 16, let's do this. All right, Chris, we got a great episode today. We've got one of the smartest people, I think, in the world. Absolutely. Uh, I know him as Professor Cloa. We know him as Professor Cloa. And he was one of my professors at Concordia Seminary. Our professor. It's Jeff Cloa. And uh, he is uh, an incredible guy, a PhD, New Testament scholar. Yeah. And now he is the, the chief curatorial, that's a hard word to say, oh, curatorial officer at the Museum of the Bible. 
in Washington, D.C. And so we're going to have an awesome time talking with Jeff today. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Kloa. Hey, great to see you both again. Great um, to see I, you doing well. I have a question right off the bat, um, Professor, Mr. Jeff Kloa. I, I have this question. What does it mean to be um, the director? Uh, what's your title again? Say that because we can't pronounce it. <laughs> and what does that entail? Because it sounds really smart. Uh, so most, most of what I do, chief curatorial officer, right? So most of what I do is emails and meetings, right? Uh, (laughs) But, uh, no, it's a, it's a wonderful, great team here. If you've been in the museum, you know, that's a very, uh, beautiful place, uh, very engaging, a lot of creativity presenting the Bible in very interesting and unusual ways. And so really my job is to help. Uh, us put the Bible in the public space in engaging ways and invite people to uh, to follow up. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a it's a lot of work, uh, but it's a lot of fun. So, what percentage of your job is, entails putting on like a cowboy hat with a bullwhip and going around and finding artifacts? <laughs> is there uh, any? Yeah. No, uh, that's not precisely zero. Yeah. We don't, <laughs> all right. Good. Well, that's, that's not how we curate, apparently. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I do want to get into that a little later and talk about what you do with the Museum of the Bible and your career as a professor. But I kind of want to back up even before all of that and just hear your story a little bit. Uh, did you always like have a faith and an interest in the Bible, specifically the New Testament, as you became a professor in that, or, or how did that develop over the years? Yeah, it's a, a really important question, and I was really blessed. Uh, I was raised in a Christian family. Uh, my father was a, a Christian school teacher, and so you know, church was a part of our life. But but especially the Bible was always a part of part of our lives. Uh, in fact, I was talking to someone last week. I remember as a as a child, probably maybe kindergarten, first grade, uh, I was given a, a New Testament, uh, you know, regular, probably RSV at the time, uh, but um, had a cover with Jesus and the sheep, you know, and the sheep smiling, everybody's all happy, you know. <laughs> um, but I was so proud to get that Bible and to be able to kind of read it on my own. And And I remember, you know, my goal was to read the Gospel of John. Uh, for myself. So, so yeah, I've really, uh, uh, from that perspective, it's been uh, with me my entire life. And um, uh, like most people, uh, there are definitely valleys and uh, times when you wander and um, uh, it's not a a meaningful part of your day to day, uh, to be sure. Um, But, um, you know, that was always an anchor and a, a place to come back to. And God's put people in my life to especially my wife and family to, uh, to keep me there. And, uh, so I've been, I mean, it's, it's kind of a joke in a way, but I've, I've been able to raise a family and support them my entire life by teaching the Bible. I mean, that's yeah. how do you, how do you describe that? Or it's a, a tremendous privilege and honor. And I don't take it lightly that, uh, it's a, it's a responsibility. That's cool. Did I, did I hear that right? That you got that Bible in at kindergarten and first grade, you wanted to read through John, or is that later in, no, it was, it was really early. It might have been before then. My my dad was, you know, he was doing a master's in, uh, in like, I don't know, brain stuff at the time. And so I was like the guinea pig. I was, he was doing it. He's like intelligence. I was, I was a genius and I was at like eight months old, I swear, you know, so, so I was constantly being bombarded with, with this kind of stuff. So no, they That's were, awesome. they were fantastic, very supportive and encouraging. And, 
But I think it's cool, like, because you are, you're such an intelligent guy, and everybody that's ever sat in a class or heard you speak, like, that comes off so naturally to you. But what I love is you can put it in our language, which is really amazing. But I also think it's really amazing, like, we have a lot of parents that have kids, and you recognize something in your kid, and you, you Mm -hmm harness that and and not every kid is can read john in kindergarten or first grade it might be fifth grade or sixth grade the first time that makes sense and that's okay yeah yeah exactly and and, uh it just highlights the the unique uh, opportunity that we have as parents you know those who have kids to uh to really make a difference you know i I, i'm sorry i want to talk a second have you ever been to the bible museum i've not yet okay so i I um, no, wait, wait, it's Museum of the Bible. Museum it's, of the Bible. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Yes, branding. Yes. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Chris. For it's all brand. about branding. You're right. Museum of the Bible. <laughs> in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. Thank you. Dot, dot, dot. Okay. Uh, so we've uh, got taken uh, a couple of high school groups up to Washington, D.C. the last few years and then before COVID. And it's interesting because we'll have the printed itinerary, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the high school kids will look at everything. Oh, we get to go see the monuments. They're excited. We get to go to the Smithsonian. Oh, we're so excited. And then they'll see uh, the Museum of the Bible at Washington, D.C. <laughs> and they'll say, oh, what's this? What's this? Right. And I said, just wait. You just wait. You're going to love this place. I guarantee you. And, you know, out of the 12 places we go, we do a survey. Your location is always number one. Cool. But it's always the most like. <laughs> It's it's the one where I would say they have the least expectation, and then they go to that New Testament walkthrough, and yeah. that is the equivalent of anything at Universal Studios Disney. That is unbelievable, and I take them right there, and <laughs> and they're like, that was the coolest thing yeah. that we've yeah. seen. No, my my standard joke on this is you know that when people hear the word museum, right, right, what do most people think? Boring, yeah. Boring, Boring. dusty, dusty, right? Old right. clips, right? Yeah. You walk past it, you go on, right? When people hear the word Bible, what do most people think? Boring, boring, <sighs> dusty, right? right? So, what could possibly be more boring <laughs> than a museum of the Bible? Or it's like it's like boring squared, right? <laughs> it's, 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 it, you know, but then you walk in, right? And yeah. and. Uh, you know the the our founders, the designers, the team. Uh, you know the goal was to create a space to showcase the Bible uh, and its importance in a way that uh, matches up to what the book itself is, right? Yeah. And uh, you, you can't leave here without understanding, recognizing, being impressed with the Bible because it's it's I guess a great place. You just and you really have to experience it. Yeah. I can't really describe it to you. It's it's uh, it's not like a you know, here's a Bible in a case. So we've got that, right? But it's set in a way that uh, brings you along. You see its importance. There's sound everywhere. Things moving. It drives me crazy sometimes. You know, there's stuff everywhere. Um, and, and in the midst of that, we got the, the, literally the greatest collection of uh, uh, Bibles and materials on display anywhere in the world in one place. You know, it's it's remarkable. So it's it's uh it's great for scholars. We got the archaeology. It's great for kids. We got the experiential stuff. We got you can fly through Washington D.C. and see so all the Bible cool. stuff around. I mean, it's just it's all over. So yeah, you got you got to come, and um, we have a great response to to uh, people who visit the museum. 
It's it's amazing, and that is uh, a free plug right there. That is one of the coolest yeah. locations you can go to. The only reason I'm doing this podcast, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never even been to Washington D.C. Believe what? it or not, it's one of the crazy places I've never been. You've so. never oh, been to Washington D.C. You got to come. It's a great place. I got I to gotta, I gotta make it there. That's crazy. But I think that's so amazing, and and a picture really of what an ordinary book. It's just words that mm-hmm. something extraordinary comes from, and, and that's God's living, breathing word. And so I, I want to talk about that that word, that Bible. Um, I want to set this question up a little bit because uh, the data just came out, a survey from uh, American Bible Society uh, that said 21% of Americans, which equals 14.7 million Americans that used to have a consistent interaction with the Bible no longer do. And that's Mm -hmm. in just a year, 21% dropped off. The next thing it said is the segment of people who don't read the Bible or have it shaped their life grew at an alarming rate up by 38% in one year, 45 million adults. Mm-hmm. So in the same article where I saw these statistics, it also said this, the average home in America, according to the LifeWay, has four Bibles, right. Christian films, more churches, and more Christian radio and TV programs than ever. We even have a state-of-the-art Bible museum. This is what it said. And an ark in Kentucky. <laughs> so why why the decline? So Jeff, when you read this or see a report like this, when you hear this, like how do you respond to that? Why is there such decline if the Bible is so incredible, both in its word format and with what you do there? Yeah, well, and it's a fantastic resource from American Bible Society. They've been doing this for years. They've got a long term, you know, study on this, so it's extremely helpful to understand how people are engaging with the Bible. And uh, we're actually partners with ABS on a couple of projects and uh, uh, part of a consortium that's looking at Bible engagement overall. Um, so very important to understand. I mean, I think a couple of things. First, uh, uh, we see in churches in general in the United States, uh, older populations, uh, declining church attendance in general. And, and so the Bible is kind of unfortunately riding the coattails of that. Uh, and even in the last couple of years, there's been a precipitous drop in, in just Sunday attendance, church attendance. Um, you know, what's, what's the cause of that? I mean, just, just, you know, go down the list. We've got a a troubled culture. We've got conflict, uh, in our, in our society. Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, people who, uh, carry the name of Christ and the church don't always, and I, count myself in this in this pool we don't always represent the bible accurately in the way we conduct ourselves and uh uh competition for people's time and attention uh attention spans uh you know to sit down and read a chapter is a major undertaking who who does it anymore Mm. so you know we're we're certainly sailing upwind in uh, uh, the kind of um, material. Let's put it that way: the kind of content the Bible is, as well as the um, religion environment in America in general. Now, having said that, um, the same report actually has some some positives that I think we should really be focusing on. Uh, for example, uh, that even people who uh, uh, don't read the Bible are open to reading it but they don't know how to get into it, mm. right? They don't know how to engage because again, it's, it's okay. How often do I actually pick up a book and read it? Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then you, you pick up a book with uh, how many pages is in this one, right? Uh, 1,167 pages, right? Where do you start? You know, do you start at page one, do you start in the middle? So 
So it's not the it's not user friendly to get into it. Um, but uh, there are signs that there are ways that people are getting into it differently than they did in the past. Mm. And you might be familiar with uh, one example, the Uversion Bible app. Yeah, yep. yeah, they're they're actually tracking uh, somewhat differently from the American Bible Society stats. Uh, their their findings uh, over, by the way, a half a billion downloads of their app, yep. half a billion users of their app. So it's not a small sample. Uh, they're finding that people are uh, Monday to Saturday more engaged with the Bible than they were pre-COVID. Mm. So there's actually an increase in, you know, the rest of the week apart from Sunday morning. And um, now some of that, I know that's just user by user, right? So that's not even, you know, across the broad pool. Um, and and uh, something like the version app gives people a way to come into it uh, in a less, uh, um, uh, what's the word, a less uh, fearful way, right? It's sure. not so, you know. Here's an app. You click. I'm, you know, I'm interested in, uh, you know, joy, or I have struggling with this, and you click on this, and it it kind of walks you through it, right? So, so people are used to picking up a phone and clicking through, and so all that is to say, uh, there are, there are challenges, but things like apps and hopefully museums are ways to engage people in a different way, yeah. in a in a in a, uh, a kind of an easier entry point. So that they can start and engage, and then and then grow in their engagement with the Bible. That's great. So we yeah. got to work that out first. But yeah, but you know, the word itself is powerful. We have that promise, and uh, let's be creative in how we bring uh, God's word to people. Yeah, I want to I want to clarify one thing there. Just I'm curious what your opinion is. We we love you version. Red letter is actually a part yeah, right. with you version. We have uh, I think eight or nine Bible plans up there, and it's amazing the amount of people those things reach. Like you said, half a billion subscribers so or downloads to that um, app. And so I'm curious, like alongside of yeah that, and I, I know there's other things like the Bible Project and right. uh, other things that can kind of help be great companions to the Bible. I'm curious, like if, if what your answer, someone who's taught it, someone who's there, who, who has formed his life around it, what would be your go-to answer if someone says, I want to read the Bible, but don't know where to start um, today? Is that, is it like pick up the book and read uh, this chapter or is it download the app or is it all in the above or like, or, what, what would it be for or yeah, is someone? It start in Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, um, I mean, there's not one answer for everything, right? Yeah. And that's that's just the the kind of society we're in today. We have so many different ways people are engaging content, um, but it, you know, you kind of find out where people are at. So you know, the chosen might be an easy entry point. Uh, you know, there's there's some issues there, but you know, it's it's a way to get used to this. I mean, everything has. We have issues, right? Everybody. But but yeah, the chosen might be U version might be a way to get into it. Um, you know, uh, you know, start on YouTube, right? You're going to find some crazy stuff, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, um, uh, there's multiple ways to get in, but the key to all this, and it's always been this way is it's, it's up to us as individual people to come alongside and, and find out where people are at mm. and help them find their way into it. I mean, it's the same as the Ethiopian unit, right. On, in the book of Acts, yeah. right. He's reading Isaiah. He has no idea what it means. And the Holy spirit plops Philip down and says, you know, hey, talk to this guy. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, you know, he's reading, how can I understand? And Philip opens the scriptures to it, right? It's always been the people of God bringing the word of God to others. And, and there's a variety of ways to do that now. 
but it takes us to reach out and and bring that word to people. It's not going to happen passively. Yeah, it's great. So knowing people, being in relationship to know what's next needed for them, I think is awesome. And and knowing that there's a variety of ways to do it today, and that's a a blessing in many ways, but also because of all the materials and things that are out there and places they can go and things they can hear, being in relationship with them to kind of help them see what what the Bible really says and what it means, uh, I think is is so cool. So uh, I'm curious for you, yeah, 18 years as a seminary professor teaching the New Testament, I'd love to know, yeah, what was your favorite class to teach and and why was it your favorite class? Uh, the ones you guys were not in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some students were more challenging than others. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I, I got to say, I don't know if there's a class I did not enjoy teaching. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're, again, you're teaching the Bible, you know? And so uh, I got to teach uh, both the uh, intro course to how to read the Bible, basically. And that's just a blast because you're, you're helping students really think about what they're doing and how to get into this in a meaningful way and how to communicate that. I mean, it's just, a, so you're, you're kind of just opening things up for students for the first time. But I also got to teach the, the final class on biblical theology and kind of how does it all fit together and what are these big themes and kind of helping to students to really put it all in one box for the first time, you know. So and then everything in between, you know, the Gospels, Pauline Epistles, it's all just a blast, you know, history of the Bible. It's all, it's all fantastic. So so no, I, I just I don't know if there was a, a favorite class at all. I just, you know. Love to now grading papers was another issue. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's what I was. That's when I say it, it seemed like you really enjoyed being a professor. Was it the other things that went alongside being a professor, the grading the papers, the? Well, I mean, even grading papers could be. Uh, a t it's supposed to be a teachable thing, right? And and so you try to do that. Um, I, you know, eventually you figure out ways to uh, do assessment that are not burdensome on students and not burdensome on on the professor, but they're actually useful, you know, so, so, you know, at the end of the day, grading is, is just part of the process. Um, but unfortunately I got dragged into administration and, and, uh, uh, you know, so, so the last few years I was hardly teaching at all, which is, which is, you know, kind of pointless. Like you got offered this opportunity after being at the seminary for a long time. Was it a hard decision to say, you know what, um, I'm going to accept this new position, leaving what you once loved. Was that a hard call? Oh, I, I still love it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, and I you know pray for the seminary every day, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I was not looking, not looking for a job. Let's put it that way. You okay. know, yeah. Tenure, you know, there for 18 years. I mean, I, I, you know, I started teaching there when I was 33, and I, I I always told myself I didn't want to be that guy who tells, you know, when I was a pastor stories from 40 years ago, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to uh, be there for my entire ministry after that. But, but um, no, you know, I was, uh, I, I did some things with the museum, some educational programs, and had some students and some things. So I knew a little bit about it, and some of the people connected to the museum knew me from the academic world, and and knew that I had administrative experience, and you know, so you know, as they were about to open, they knew that they needed some help getting some things lined up and organized, and so they reached out to me. I mean, literally out of the blue, um, uh, and it took about um, I don't know, probably four months to figure out what this was all about and, and what it was doing. Um, 
you know, we had just bought a house in St. Louis a couple of years earlier, planned to retire, you know, whole, whole thing. But, but um, you know, what, what really was the draw was kind of what we talked about earlier is to try to do something different, mm. uh, to try to put the Bible out there in a public way that's different from what everybody else is doing and try to engage, you know, whether it's young people or somebody who has no idea what the Bible is at all uh, to experience it in a different way and to learn things about it that they didn't know and to see just how incredible this really is. So that was, that was the appeal. And, you know, I know full well, it still is kind of an experiment. Nobody, nobody's doing this. Right. Right. Uh, right. And um, so, so that was, that was the appeal to try to uh, present the Bible in a, in a different way. And, and so it said on the seminary website that you actually get, get to do a deeper discovery or a deeper research on some New Testament documents. Um, well, is that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so part of the deal when I joined the museum was actually uh, my first role was director of collections. So the artifacts and okay. manuscripts and things, which, you know, that's what my PhD is in. It's, I love manuscripts. Um, and so part of the uh, deal when I came on was I would have one day a week just for my own research and publication. Unfortunately, literally, <laughs> The day I got there, it was like, it's just, there's a lot to work on here. And I, I, my academic career is kind of out the window at this point. I gotcha. Um, and then after the museum opened, they did a reorganization and said, your job is now this. And so now it's, you know, so I'm back to being a bureaucrat like I was at seminary. <laughs> the stuff that uh, you loved at the seminary. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's, it's uh, uh, in a way, it's a deferred teaching. You know, we have a just an incredible team and, uh, very talented and and uh, to help them you know create opportunities for them to to engage with the public it's uh and uh, you know i get to interact with some pretty cool people and develop some really exciting projects and awesome and, uh, yeah so it's a uh, uh, you know a long sad story but here i am <laughs> i'm curious like yeah growing up and obviously in the christian home and always with a love for the bible going through all the academic stuff being professor and, and now a couple few years at the Museum of the Bible. I, I want to know, or I'm just genuinely curious, has working at the Museum of the Bible like changed your faith at all uh, or your relationship with God, like anything you've seen, experienced, or learned like in that position that you otherwise wouldn't have? Um, is there anything new that's come to your faith from it? That's yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I mean, changed my relationship with God is probably an overstatement, except, you know, that's, that's a very, you know, God sure. works and, and we trust, but... But um, I, th I think I put it this way. It's um, it's a very humbling place to be because, you know, again, we we talk about the Bible globally and we work with partners globally. We work with all faith traditions. And and so to see how uh, I mean, incredible uh, God's working in different ways in different communities, even today, is it, just so humbling. And, uh, you know, we. we at a seminary, you know, you're in a little world, right? You're, you're teaching Lutherans and, and working with Lutheran churches. And it's very, it's great. I love being Lutheran, but if it's, it's a very closed system. Yeah. Uh, and you don't necessarily have contact with the broader Christian world or faith world. And, and uh, there's some incredible things happening. And uh, it's great to be able to highlight some of that as well. And to uh, work with people who are doing some, some really cool things. So it's really given me a, a broader sense of uh, just the work of God in the world in, in many different ways, uh, many, many different ways. Um, so, 
you know, at the seminary and being a professor, you're a mile deep and an inch wide, right? But here it's, it's you know, five miles wide and uh, I don't get to be deep anymore. So it's all shattered. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's good. I think that's cool though, Like, right? You get to see kind yeah, of the, the deep side and then the wide side and it's yeah. uh, amazing. Uh, so I mean, this... I got story after story of just incredible yeah. things people are doing. We don't have time, but you got to come to the museum and see them. <laughs> how about highlight one of those tell me tell me one that's just like well i mean just one thing there so awesome this is just saturday right we had um a uh, uh, group from uh, uh, kennett hospital you probably never heard of it in united arab emirates it uh, started in uh, the 1960s a missionary hospital uh before there was a country these missionaries went literally to the desert and you know husband and wife both doctors and provided basic care this is before there's any oil there's any money and founded this hospital, uh, made a huge difference immediately. Uh, uh, the the um, uh, ruler of the country, his wife has their first son at this hospital. And, and uh, uh, the, keep in mind the mortality rate uh, for women is one third at this point. Mm. And the infant mortality rate is 50% in oh, that country. Wow. In, this is in the 1960s, 1970. So the son is born and he's healthy. The wife is healthy, continues to give birth. They, they developed this great relationship. Uh, the son is now the president of the country. Uh, uh, it's, it's uh, <laughs> he put it this way, it's the only place in the country where you can get a Bible, right? Uh, and they openly talk about how the Bible has formed them and uh, is the cause of what they do there. Wow. And uh, they will openly say that you know, if you've heard of the Abraham Accords, this uh, kind of peace accord between UAE first and then Israel and broadening that out now, it's it's because of people like uh, George Kennedy and his wife who went and served uh, living out the Bible and their faith in a very concrete way that it created this openness and, and uh, uh, really changed international relations directly because of that work. Wow, I mean, it's it's remarkable. People just doing what God called them to do, following the example of Jesus, and and it's literally changing the world. Um, yeah. So yeah, to be able to highlight that story, and and yeah. we'll do more on that later on. But uh, just just you know, stuff you'd never even think about. Yeah. And uh, remarkable things happening. Yeah, and and the whole goal of like this podcast that we state at the beginning of every single episode is that you know we would we would hopefully see a greater, fuller, truer expression of Jesus. And so yeah. I think that's amazing the being able to see God at work, because when we see God, when we interact with God, when we interact with his word, like we're, we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're caught up with who is this Jesus? And, and, and it forces us to ask some really awesome questions. And so to be able to see all of that is, is amazing. And I think if people if all of us could collectively do our own part, you know, and, and certainly we're going to have faults in there too, but if yeah. people could just catch a glimpse of the, the real Jesus and God truly at work, how the world would change. Um, so that's pretty cool. If someone is, is struggling, like in their faith, let's come back to very basic, like how, how can the Bible help that person? Um, yeah. Yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah. Well, it kind of gets back to our, our discussion earlier about, you know, how do you get into the Bible? Um, and and, and I'll, I'll somewhat repeat, but um, uh, first thing is you got to have a relationship with a person. And, uh, you know, we as, as followers of Jesus need to have our eyes open for people in need. 
um, and uh, to be a, a support for them, to, to bring the gospel to them, to help them, uh, you know, to bring scripture to them. Um, but if you're an individual listening, uh, I think the, the place to go really is to go to the book of, the, of Psalms. Mm. Because in, in Psalms, we see uh, people very open about their relationship with God and their relationship with other people. And it's not always pretty, right? There are struggles. People are complaining to God. They're crying out to him. He's not listening. But, but God always comes through. And, and to see examples of how to pray, how to, how to understand God when it doesn't make sense to us, when we're struggling, and to see that people for literally thousands of years have had these struggles and God has, has brought them through. Hmm. Um, I think that's just been helpful to me is just um, uh, dipping into the Psalms and, and seeing that, it, you know, it's okay. <laughs> this, this, yeah. this is how life is. And, and God knows that, that we struggle. Uh, but he's always there. And at the end of the day, he always delivers. Yeah, that's really good. And that's, that's awesome. Uh, I have a question for you. You've been a teacher for a long time. You're still a teacher. You're helping teachers. Uh, what would you say is the most misunderstood section of the Bible that you taught? And how can <laughs> uncovering the right interpretation perhaps be helpful? Do you have any... So so yeah. one of my goals in life is to be less snarky than I was when I was a professor. <laughs> How um, you doing? It's not, it's not working very well. Yeah. Not, no, okay, okay. As soon as I see you guys, it kicks back in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my snarky that answer snarky. Be, that was snarky right there. <laughs> <laughs> my snarky answer is all of it is misunderstood. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, um, but yeah, one thing that I've, I've been teaching about uh, lately that seems that people seem to respond to is um, uh, just this whole understanding of, and and it's a huge biblical theme that I don't think we actually teach very well is the theme and teaching on the kingdom of God. Mm. Uh, it's all over the place in the Gospels. Paul talks about the kingdom. It's it, it, The phrase occurs, I think it's 105 times in the Gospels. Mm. Uh, it's always on the lips of Jesus. But I bet the average Sunday sermon never even mentions the phrase kingdom of God. Why is that, right? Uh, and and it's the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark is the times fulfilled, uh, 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 or the times at hand. Um, I the kingdom of heaven. Of, yeah, right? but yeah, the kingdom of God is here. Right, right. Repent and believe in the good news. First things out of Jesus' mouth is the kingdom of God is here. So it's got to be pretty important, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and. Throughout his ministry, he then demonstrates what the kingdom of God is. And it, it's not complicated, right? What does Jesus do? He heals people. He feeds people, right? I mean, this is, this is yeah. what God does. If you're in his kingdom, God promises to daily and richly provide us with all that we need to support this body in life. To quote someone that we all know, right? And Jesus does it, right? This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. Yeah. And and what does Jesus do? He seeks people who are lost, right? Yeah. He goes out and finds them. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It doesn't just sit here, and it's not for our benefit. It's to go out and bring others into it, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you find them, what do you do? You invite them, right? You don't beat them over the head. You don't you don't make fun of them. You don't tell them they're stupid. You don't blast them on the internet. You invite them, right? It's it's an invitation. Look, you know, all who are weary and heavy burden, come to me, right? Yeah. Uh, and, 
And so um, just understanding, first of all, that Jesus himself, when he's, when he's walking around, it's not just demonstrating that he's God. Yeah, he's doing that. But even more so, he's demonstrating this, this incredible life that God is creating for his people yeah. and inviting us into it, right? And all along as he's doing that, he's guiding his disciples to do the same thing, mm. right? Feeding the 5,000, you guys feed them. And then he gives them the, the, you know, the <laughs> yep. baskets to do it, right? Uh, he gives them the authority to cast out demons, right? And they do it, right? All along, he's helping them do it. And then you get to the book of Acts, and guess what? The church is doing the same stuff, yeah. right? They're providing for people's needs, right? They're, they're feeding, they're caring for the sick, they're, they're visiting those in prison, right? They're inviting, they're, they're going and finding, right? So, so it, it, I hate to say it, but it's, we sort of read the Gospels as, as like nice stories yep. or things we can get life lessons from, and it's all good. But there's this this uh, whole wide world that I think we've we've lost the big picture on, and that is what is this kingdom, and and how is God bringing it about through Jesus and out through us, and and we can walk through entire the Gospels and Acts and unpack all that. I got a whole class on that, but but uh, um, yeah, I, I think that's um, it, people when I teach this, people seem to think it's like new and amazing. It's like it's. It's several hundred five times. I mean, it's, yeah. it's there, you know. And that's yeah. what that's what I'm like. Jesus is Lord and Savior, absolutely. And he's all, but he also came to this world, so he is model, teacher, example. He's all of these things. All and of these yes, things. Kingdom, exactly. kingdom, kingdom, from the very beginning. And yeah. uh, you know, I, I read something. I think it was N.T. Wright not too long ago that, um, and I don't want to get misquoted here because I love the creeds, um, right? That we that we profess the apostles, Nicene, Athanasian. But it does feel like, because they're written for a certain time in context, that there's a little bit of, of a missing piece to them. I mean, we go right from a virgin birth to Jesus dying on a cross, and we completely skip over the life of Jesus, the invitation to the kingdom, and right. our part in that. And it's like, there's a hole, and I think that perhaps we've made it too much about the kingdom being one day when we die, that will be, which is going yeah, to be amazing. Well, that's a huge, exactly, also yeah. the kingdom is at hand now. And what does that look like to be in this now and not yet <laughs> kingdom yeah. as disciples? And, and it's like, yeah, I don't want to say our creeds are not good because they're amazing, but it almost feels like we need a, a creed that mentions something about the here, the now, the life of Jesus and what the life of a disciple looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, of course, the creeds are solving a specific problem yeah. or a couple of specific problems, and and they they kind of summarize. They give you a good framework yeah. to hang the rest of it on, and you need that to hang the rest yeah. of it on. Um, but they're not; they never claim to be everything, right? And uh, you know, certainly they talk about the Holy Spirit in broad strokes, um, but uh, that's the ongoing work of the church today. And the Spirit's work of, you know, speaking through the prophets, right? Uh, that's what we have in the, in the written word. And uh, that's, that's what the creed sets you up to do. We just got to gotta move into that. And so, um, yeah, uh, I, maybe what you're getting out of it, too, is we tend to focus on getting, like, the teachings straight. You know, we line up the doctrines and we get that all. And, again, there's, there's a place for that that's yeah. important. I say things wrong or... Or, or teach God incorrectly. Um, but all that is really only, I mean, I don't make it over simple, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, somebody said uh, the entire scriptures, all the all of the Torah, yeah, summed up in that. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, that that's it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's that's a non-negotiable. That's there, but also non-negotiable is love your neighbor. Yeah, and and that's what the church. That's what Jesus is doing. His entire ministry, all the way up to his sacrifice on the cross. And it's what the disciples are doing along with them. And it's what we're called to do today. Yep. And, and that's that's what the, the scriptures show to us, how to love God, how to love our neighbor. That's great. All right. I want to know what is the coolest exhibit at the museum right now, in your opinion, and why? Yeah, all of it. I mean, for you, it won't be the same as what everybody else might think. But yeah, just. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, you mentioned the Hebrew Bible experience. It, it's, it is. It's actually won an award in 2019. That is, you know, Universal Studio competes in it and, and Disney and everything. It actually won the National Themed Entertainment Award. Wow, in 2019. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it stands up to anything. Um, so when we get our guest feedback, that's always number one. Something like 26, 27 percent will always say that's a favorite thing. But what's what's uh, heartening to me as an academic and somebody who likes manuscripts is that the second uh, most uh, liked thing at the museum is the history of the Bible floor, which is where we have all the manuscripts and the entire history of translation and spread around the world and all that. Very and that's uh, always a close second. 24, 25% will say that's the, their favorite thing in the museum. Um, so so you got two very different kinds of things, but, yeah. but people respond to both, which is fantastic. Um, so yeah, the, the permanent galleries on the history of the Bible, the stories of the Bible, the impact of the Bible, just stunning, always amazing, always here. Um, we also have a, uh, a long-term uh, partnership with the Israel Antiquities Authority, which is a government agency in Israel that owns all the archeology span basically in Israel. And we have the largest exhibition of archeology span of Israel outside of Jerusalem. Wow. There's 800 objects on display, it's incredible. Everything you'd wanna see is there. Um, so that's really cool. Um, we also do a bunch of special exhibits. Uh, you're actually catching us, uh, you know, we're a tourist attraction, right? So our the DC tourist season basically ends in August and picks okay. up again Labor Day. Um, but um, uh, so we, uh, we're we opening a special exhibit in, in September on the Samaritans. You know, you talk about the Good Samaritan, love your neighbor, yeah. right? First ever major exhibition on the Samaritans. Uh, really cool, they're, they're still there. Uh, Still, still today. Live a bit, yeah, still there's eight, about 825, 850 Samaritans in Israel. Hmm. And wow. they're still trying to be a biblical people, you huh. know, uh, following the Torah uh, in uh, in today's age. Fascinating story. And uh, so that's a really cool project, uh, archaeology and modern day stuff. And, and that's uh, coming in sep September? When September, is that? Uh, I think 16th, 17th, something like that. Okay. And then for Christmas, we have a, a really cool little exhibit coming from the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. So the place where it all started, right? Yeah. Uh, they just did a major 10-year refurbishment of the church. It's gorgeous. And uh, uh, got a great relationship with them. They're sending over uh, six bells that were are from the 11th century uh, that were uh, buried and rediscovered about 100 years ago. They've never left and they're coming to the museum for a special exhibit at Christmas time. Wow. And uh, a chance to highlight the church and the birth of Jesus in that place. And 
see some cool objects. And so, you know, we're, we're doing really cool stuff all the time and, and you just, you just got to come. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's great. All right, Jeff, we got a question that we ask all the guests on the podcast. Um, and then I'm going to turn it over to Chris for uh, a, a game segment with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was curious, <laughs> we, we always, I'm, I'm going to do a Greek quiz after this. So we're going to do <laughs> No, no, you're not. Uh, uh, no, oh, we're going to stay away from that. We can cut the, I think we're going to have recording issues at that point, yes, but uh, we, we guarantee it. Um, but we always want our guests to challenge the audience. We all want to grow as disciples in our relationship with God. And so if you could practically challenge every listener out there, we all can't come to, you know, Washington, D.C. this very week. But if, is there something we can do this week that we can grow as a disciple? What would your challenge be to our, those that are listening? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I'd say, I mean, I'm, I mean, the first obvious one, since I'm a Bible guy, is just just pick up the Bible. Open your phone, yeah. pick, book, pick it up. And and really ask yourself, uh, uh, have you done that today? That's kind of the first question. And if you haven't, just start. You know, I mean, I, I uh, you know, we all know how habits work, right? And I, I cycle. That's kind of my hobby. It's, uh, you know, I got my bike over here. I ride into work every day. Um, but that took took a while to build that habit, right? And now if I don't ride my bike in, it's like, I'm, what, what's going on? I don't know what's happening, you know? Uh, so So, you know, just start. You know, if you're not reading your Bible, pick it up, read it, read a paragraph, read a chapter, just get into the habit and and do it for seven days in a row. Do it for a week. And, uh, you know, if you don't know where to start, go to a website, do the Psalms, go to you, whatever, uh, find a place to start, ask a friend what's been helpful yeah. and, and commit to reading just a chapter a day uh, for a week and do it at a consistent time and, and see what happens. Give, love- give it a chance. Yeah. That's great. I, I'm just curious. That sparks one question for you specifically. Talk about habits. And I, I know you you bike, you cycle. What what does it look like for you these days? Being you know the New Testament professor, Museum of the Bible guy. Like, how do you engage with the Bible? I, I realize it may be very different from how the normal person would. I'm just curious what that looks like. Your habits. So I, I, um, uh, I it's it's actually. I hate to put it this way. Um, I've, I've read it so much. <laughs> that sounds weird, but I, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a professional, right? I have to right. read it. Yeah. And so there's, I probably have sections memorized in Greek just cause I, you know, but, but, um, so for me, I, tr- I try to be a normal person bluntly. And, um, uh, so I, I try to use different translations when I read. So I don't just like blow through it cause I have it memorized or it's so familiar that I don't even know what it's, you know, I just don't even pay attention to it. Yeah. Um, I do, you know, I don't teach Greek anymore on a regular basis. So I do use that as a way to slow down Mm. and, you know, uh, okay. I don't remember what that form is. Let me go check, you know, so it forces you to grapple with every word. Yeah. And, um, so for me, it's, it's really a matter of, again, daily, of course, but, but the, the discipline, you might say of dissimilarity of, of, uh, uh, looking at it in ways that I haven't before. So I don't treat it as too familiar. That's good. Do you uh, ever get there before everybody else shows up and maybe go to the Bible floor and par- pull Martin Luther's Bible <laughs> out? Just read through that. Uh, you know, the irony is I like never touch the objects. We have, you know, we have conservators and they're like, don't touch it. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I, we got rules and all, you know, so I, it's ironic. You know, I mean, I, now I privileges, I'll go do it anyway. But, but uh, I mean, no, no, no. I, I, no, we, we take, I mean, here, some of these things are a thousand, two thousand. Right. 3,000 years old and, you know, 
part of our job is to make sure they're here for another you know, right. however long we have, right? So, sure. so other generations can enjoy them. But no, it's uh, it is pretty cool. I mean, one one fun story we got a uh, it's a uh, Johnny Cash's personal Bible, <laughs> uh, and and he's you know signed all over the Psalms. He's got verses highlighted. The verse on his tombstone is highlighted. Uh, the Proverbs, you know, he's very, you could tell he's very concerned about yeah. what does God want me to do? Those are the sections he's really reading through. It's, it's amazing. And so wow. to be able to, I mean, to, I mean, I'm sitting there with Johnny Cash's Bible and kind of trying to figure out what he's reading and, you know, how he's trying to put it in practice. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, to be able yeah, to that is cool. So yeah. right now we have Ellis's Bible on display. We'll put Johnny Cash's out there later on. <laughs> but you can't just go and open it up because I've watched Night at the Museum, Chris. Yeah, this, yeah. That's, you have to treat that stuff with care. You do. You yeah. do. Uh, okay, final question before we get into the game show. Uh, what is do you? What would you guess is the most expensive thing at the museum, the most expensive oh. artifact that you have? I, I actually know, and I can't tell you. Oh, for real? Uh, it's insurance and security and all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, so okay. we can't get is is the code still one two three four pound to get yeah. in or? Do you guys still leave the key <laughs> under the rock outside? It's, it's my yeah, it's my birthday. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. All right, Chris, I'm turning it over to you. What you got cooked up for us? Wow. Okay. Uh, let's. Uh, we got a little game here. Uh, I'm just curious, Zach. You ever watch like the Antique Road Show? Yeah. Yeah. You ever yeah. watch shows like that? I'm going to put you against one of the greatest oh, wow. curators of all time. He probably knows what everything is worth. Um, but okay. I'm going to have you challenge each other. A Price is Right competition, four questions. Okay. Who can get the closest to the accurate price of four different things? And this are wow. going to be our four items. Uh, uh, well, let's just start with item number one. You got to close your laptop, lid. No, no Google search. Oh yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Close your laptop. Jeez. You too. I see. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we got matching Macs. <laughs> We're all rocking the Apple MacBook. <laughs> He's used to you in class. Getting ready to cheat. Uh, all right. The last sale of a complete Gutenberg Bible took place in 1978, when a copy went for this amount. The last sale of a complete. Now they sold part of Gutenberg Bibles, but this was the last one, according to this site, uh, 1978, when the copy went for this much money. Let's go to our challenger first, Zach Zender. Well, I like Paul. the uh, I like the according to this site that really gives. Well, it some I'm not going to give you uh, insurance purposes. I can't <laughs> oh yeah, tell. there you go. All right, uh, I don't know. I'll say a million bucks. Go ahead, Doctor Koala. Yeah, well, uh, I, it, that can't be accurate because I was very surprised that the museum. Uh, wait, wait, say it again. But the museum acquired theirs in about 2010. So, so okay, so wait a second, wait a second. So you got, a, I didn't realize you had a complete Gutenberg Bible. Well, uh, to clarify, we have a fourth edition. So first, and that might have been the last first edition to go on sale. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Okay. okay. Zach went $1 million. Would you say higher or lower than that? Definitely higher. Okay. And now just for fun, what do you think the price was? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in 1978. So that's, that's a long time ago. Yep. I'm going to put it at about 4 million. Okay. 2.2 million dollars, but you had the over Dr. Kloa one Zach Zender, nothing. Let's go <laughs> to the next one. We'll go uh, the hope diamond. The most expensive and perhaps the most famous jewel in the world is a 45.52 carat blue stone known as the Hope Diamond. 
Uh, experts estimate the Hope Values Diamond at, Dr. Cloa? Wow. It's over across the street at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum. Uh, <laughs> Do you have the code for that? And it's on the sign, but I haven't been there in about three years. So I would say value is $150 million. Okay. Would you say higher or lower, Zach? I'm going to go higher. The insurance replacement value is $350 million. Yes. Almost the same as Tiger Woods joining the live tournament. <laughs> you would have. Uh, right. was eight, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That was... All right. Zach Zender, you're up. It's one to one. Okay. On eBay right Ooh, now. I know eBay. <laughs> on eBay right now is a 2001 genuine, authentic Los Angeles Laker NBA championship ring. It is on sale on eBay at this very moment. Zach Zender, what's the price? 2001. So yeah. that would have been the Kobe years, Kobe. right? Kobe Shaq. That's right. Yeah. I don't uh, I, I'm going to just go straight million again. Okay. Million? Yeah. Dr. Clo, would you say higher? Uh, no, I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go yeah. maybe 250, 250,000. $15,500. <laughs> <laughs> It's probably like a million I don't know this game at all. I'm just going with a million. Yeah. All right. This is the well, final see, one. See, whose ring? It's, it's Provenance. Whose ring yeah, was it? It, it, was, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a player's. I think it was like, uh, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. Boy. yeah, exactly. All right. This is the last one. A rare copy of Marvel Comics Amazing Fantasy 15 has sold at auction for <laughs> this amount. The story includes the first appearance of Spider-Man Created by Stan Lee, the book was published in 1964, and only one of four copies that exist in near mint condition. Mm. Who's up first? Dr. Cloa. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, comic books. Can I know. Be great. I know. Uh, I'm sorry. You know? The, only... I'm not going to do the Zach Million Dollars. Uh, <laughs> um, man. Mm. Uh, Four copies, 1964 Spider-Man. First time they ever saw Spider-Man, mint condition, Stanley. Yeah, okay, we're running out of time. I'm going to go with uh, $700,000. Perfect, okay. I'm going under, I'm going $148,000. The winner of today's competition is the good doctor because oh. the amount was $3.6 million oh, wow. it sold oh, for. Yeah, Who pays for that kind of money wow. for a comic book? Crazy. Anyway, oh, you, you could have go. got a Gutenberg Bible for that. Because <laughs> I'm sure it just I'm sure it just works that yeah, way. Where exactly. You just trade those things around and curate. And <laughs> anyway, uh, Jeff, uh, this was awesome. Thanks for being a good sport and for giving yeah, some really great, great stuff. If people want to know more about you or the Museum of the Bible at Washington, D.C., where can they go? Well, I don't matter. But if you want to learn more about the museum, go to museumofthebible.org, O-R-G. A lot of cool stuff on there. We got not only stuff about the museum, but we got a ton of online resources, uh, fun videos for kids. We got school programs, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. So go to go to the website. You'll find all kinds of things to do. Very good. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. It's going to help a lot of people. Let's get back into the Bible. That was the challenge, too, is every awesome. single day. Let's get in it. So, all right, Jeff. God bless you, bud. Thank you. Take care. I love, you know, once being a student of Professor Cloa, and now that we get to talk as colleagues, I'm so, so grateful for you, Jeff, that you were here and that you were helpful 
and can kind of unpack the Bible and, and what it is and what it means and how important it is and what parts we misunderstand. And so thank you for being a part of it. If you want to connect with Jeff or how about the Museum of the Bible, all the amazing exhibits that we talked about, please check out the show notes from today's every episode we do show notes that include all the links and some of the, the best uh, sayings or quotes that come from it. So that's there to help you. You can see the show notes at redletterpodcast.com. Again, I want to thank Carrie Newhoff and the Art of Leadership Academy, their team for putting together the free online influence mastermind. If, if you have a message, if you're creating content, but need help getting it out there um, so that Christ can be glorified through the your unique expressions and ways. There's a really great opportunity, a free mastermind from him and the team. You can go to influencekickstarter.com for more info. And again, I can attest to it. I went through it and it helped me clarify a few things that have been awesome. So thank you, Carrie and your team, influencekickstarter.com. Next week's guest is Myron Pierce. Myron has this powerful story, incredible story of God rescuing him from, get this, a 200-year-long prison sentence. (laughs) So how do you fast forward to today and see that Myron is a pastor, a church planter, a leader of leaders, an author, an entrepreneur, you name it. Like Myron is building God's kingdom. So we're going to dive into his story, and it's going to challenge and inspire every single one who listens. So don't miss it. And you're not going to miss it if you're subscribed or you're following along on your favorite platform. It'll come automatically next Tuesday in a magical, powerful, incredible way that makes no sense to me, but it just shows up. And so next week's going to be awesome with Myron Pierce. We'll see you later here at the Red Letter Disciple. A Huda Media Production.